Please pray with me. Father, there is no one like you. Those of us who know you, we just confess together that there is no other treasure that compares with you. We praise you. We thank you for that. But God, we also ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would even now be confronting the things that we want to put in the way of you. That there are those here this morning that don't know you, that you would work to exalt Jesus in our midst so that we can glorify him together, that we can rejoice and praise his name together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us now to receive your word, to be challenged and shaped by its truth for us, to respond to it with obedience and faith, and that you'd be glorified in all that we say or think or do in the next few minutes here together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're wondering why there wasn't a scripture reading, it's because we're doing something a little different this morning. Um, sorry, a little bit of water there. Uh, we're going to have a excursus message. This is our first excursus, excursus message of several uh, that we'll be doing in the book of Galatians. So we're just going <clears> to <throat> jump right into the message uh, rather than reading a particular scripture passage. Uh, and we'll kind of see why as we develop um, this out. So, I have a question for you. Have any of you ever traveled somewhere in this world where maybe uh, you were in a country that didn't have the restrictive rules of commerce that we have here in Canada? And you wandered into maybe a bazaar or into a community center or into a market, and you were blown away, and you're like, oh my word, look at all this stuff! And there's so much crammed into these small spaces, all for sale. And you're struck with the colors and the visuals of all those things, a variety, and the sheer amount of what's for sale. And for a moment, you think to yourself, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff here, sure, but it's not going to be good quality. This is going to be lousy wares on the street corners. But then your eye catches a name. And go, is, are those Oakley's? For $10? No, no way. And, and you look around and you see Versace? Louis Vuitton? No way. I did not know that Gucci was here with a special relationship with these vendors. I didn't know the local artisans worked for Gucci. This is incredible. And at first, maybe you're confused. At first, maybe you're not sure. But then you think, you know, I know these brands. I know they got good quality. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to move in for the kill. So you grab your $15 pair of Ray-Bans. But then, but then you bring those Ray-Bans home. And you're excited about them. You're really pumped. And then you kind of hold them up against the Ray-Bans here in Vancouver that sell for $250. And you're, you're struck by how disappointed you are. The quality is not what you first thought it would be. Like, oh, man, this is no good at all. What you bought, the counterfeit that you bought, was disappointing, to say the least. So, yes, if you're following along, we're in the book of Galatians, and we're using the counterfeit illustration again this morning. We're going to beat that horse. We're going to flog that thing till it's dead. And, um, and the thing is, though, we need to remember that, that even though it's funny to think about these counterfeit realities in places like, I'm not going to say names, in countries that have different rules of commerce than we do, um, 
even though those things can be disappointing when we compare them to the real thing, we need to remember that we need to remember Fred's illustration that he's been referring back to. The illustration of the counterfeit cancer medication. To know that not only can counterfeits disappoint, but if someone were to sell you a sugar pill and call it something that would save your life, it's actually very, very dangerous. The main point here this morning that we want to look at again is the big idea that embracing counterfeit gospels is not just something that's disappointing. It's something that's terribly dangerous and deadly for us. So we've just come off of last week's sermon about the one true gospel and the reality that Jesus and Jesus alone can save us. And we learned that when you can't, we learned that you can't add to his gospel message without corrupting it and distorting it. And today, as promised, we're having an excursus message because we're going to build off of that idea, and we're going to look at some of the ways that false gospels are peddled in Vancouver today. We're going to look at some dangerous additions to the gospel that are all around us. Things that we need to be aware of and warned about so that we don't grab that little sugar pill and think that it's going to save our lives when it won't. We need to be aware. We need to have a bit more time to think about what is being peddled around us as a false gospel today. So this morning, we're going to look at three additions that destroy. Three additions that destroy. We're going to look at, number one, Jesus plus my earning. Number two, Jesus plus my authority. And number three, Jesus plus my identity. Jesus plus my earning, plus my authority, and plus my identity. So first, let's consider the false gospel of Jesus plus my earning together. And to start things off, because this false gospel of Jesus plus earning is a variety or is the same kind of false gospel that was promoted in Galatia, we're going to do a little bit of a recap of what happened uh, last week in chapter 1, verses 6 to 10 of the book of Galatians. And there, in that passage, we read about the way that Paul was astonished. It was an intense passage. He was astonished that the Galatians had left the true gospel in favor of a dangerous counterfeit taught to them by false teachers. And just as a piece of review, we're going to look at who were they and what was their message. Well, these people were troublers and distorters of the one true gospel message who troubled and distorted uh, by adding to it. They were Jewish Christians who felt that Paul had been a little too Jesus-happy in his preaching. They thought, you know, Paul, we get the point. We love Jesus too, all right? But there's more in the Bible than just Jesus. Aren't there other passages? Aren't there other pieces of Scripture that we need to be looking at and thinking about? What about Leviticus 18.5, for example, Paul, huh? Have you read that passage? It says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules, Paul. And if a person does them, he shall live by them. Those are God's words, Paul. Don't you think we need to do those things too? The reason that they were feeling this way was because Paul had preached loud and clear that salvation was by trusting in Jesus alone. But here was a little tweak, a little plausible adjustment to the message of Paul, saying you can be saved by trusting in Jesus plus adding your own work to the equation. Just a little tweak. But it totally destroyed the gospel by 
taking your hope for salvation in Jesus and what he alone can do to save us and putting your trust in yourself and something that you can do, something that you can earn instead. And this is a problem because the Bible is really clear. It's clear from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation that we cannot save ourselves. Paul wrote to the Galatians clearly in chapter 3, verse 21. He said, If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If a law had been given that could give life. In other words, there isn't an instruction manual out there for you to follow that would lead to your fulfillment and full life. You can't accomplish the things that you sense that you need. Instead, the gospel Paul preached was Jesus plus nothing. We're saved by trusting Jesus who earned for us. Trusting Jesus who deserved in our place when we were undeserving. Not by earning ourselves. But here's a problem. Earning is hardwired into us, isn't it? And it's hardwired into us because God made us to be people who work and who serve and to accomplish things. And ever since God's creation of mankind, we have this little background source code going that says, if I want something good, I have to work to earn it. If I want something good, I must work hard to get it. And it's in the back of our minds all the time. And at one point, at one time, at one time in the Bible, that might have been the case. It might have been the case that at one time in the Bible, before sin entered the world, that, that you could actually have lived in a way that would have brought you life and blessing. But what happened? Sin. Sin happened. The, God, God, uh, the Bible teaches us that the good creation God made, that's including us, it didn't stay good. We rebelled against him and we were corrupted by our sin. So now when we try to earn the fullness of life and the salvation that we need, we fall short every time because of sin. Whether it's trying to work to produce some kind of a utopia here on earth or it's trying to work to earn the good favor of God, your human earning is not good enough. It won't work because of sin. You know, the result of that is that all of our efforts lead to our shame and disappointment, dissatisfaction and sorrow as we try and fail and try and fail. And I think that you know this is true. I think, I think you know it, even if this is a new idea to you. I think you believe it. Because if we put a GoPro video camera on your chest, right? If, if you were born with it on your chest, and then we played the highlight reel right here. What would it tell us about you? Even if maybe that GoPro video camera was only on your chest since last Thursday, what would it tell us about you? Would you want to have uh, a privilege of editing anything out? I, I know I would. Right? Would, it, would that video camera reel show that in spite of all your big talk, the problem between you and what you're trying to accomplish, the problem between you and what you're trying to to earn is you. Would it show you as the reason your relationships are falling apart? Would it show you as this person that talks about all the good that you want to see done in the world, 
But then when we play back the real, we're like, this person seems awfully selfish. They talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, have they gone out and done anything about it? I think the camera would reveal an awful lot that we wouldn't be proud of. It would reveal that we're the obstacle between us and the good things that we hope for and that we live for and that we want to earn for ourselves. But that doesn't keep us from trying, does it? Even though we're still corrupted by sin, we still foolishly place our hopes and our dreams on what we can do. We don't work humbly trusting in Jesus ultimately. That's appropriate. Work is appropriate in the Christian life. Faith will always work. But it works with humility, trusting in Jesus. Instead, we work proudly, hoping in ourselves and what we can do ultimately. And we just relegate Jesus to the sidelines. We're like, you know, Jesus, it's the second half of the game, and you can get seated. I'm just going to go out in the field now. I'm going to finish this off. Jesus started me down the road of salvation, you think, but I'll take it from here. And the issue is hope. The issue is our trust. And it's subtle, but as time goes by, we're not really hoping in Jesus any longer. We're hoping in ourselves. We're hoping in what we can do. I'll take Jesus a little bit over here, but then I'm going to put my trust and my hope in me. We work for it to accomplish it ourselves. Do you do this? Do you do this? I do it. Where is it that you have placed today where, where, that you believe the false gospel of Jesus plus your earning? Is it true for you that maybe, maybe you believe in Jesus, but now you've put your hope and your trust in a salvation that you can accomplish through your working good in this world? Have you done that? Or have you believed in Jesus, but now you've put your hope and your trust in a salvation that can be accomplished as you work towards a political end? Have you believed in Jesus, but now you've really put your hope and your trust in a salvation that can exist only in a chemical-free environment where essential oils are the things of my life? Trying to secure a health, right? Isn't that true? In other words, we're trying to secure health and put our hope in something other than Jesus. Or, I believe in Jesus, but now I've put my hope and my trust in my perfect body. I'm going to work hard to have the salvation that I feel I need by having the perfect body I've always wanted. What about Jesus plus your retirement plan? Jesus plus your dream job? Jesus plus your attaining all of your personal dreams? Or Jesus plus the bigger apartment and cheaper rent, please, Lord, in Vancouver? You know, there's nothing wrong with these things in a sense themselves, right? What's wrong is the way that we work for and hope in them and what we can accomplish in them in place of what only Jesus can do. Every one of these things is additions to Jesus by human effort. And it's going to distort the gospel of Jesus alone because they don't account for human inability when you hope, for, hope in these things ultimately. They don't account for your sin that will get in the way. And they insult Jesus because they rob him of his glory. Because they put you in the position of the hero of the narrative in place of Jesus and what only he can accomplish. And as a result, you know what's going to happen? 
is that all that work, it's not going to work out. You're going to get let down because you're hoping in a salvation that you can't achieve on your own. All human working or striving will not attain the glory of God that you are made for. Your earning won't make the paradise on earth you desire. And your earning won't be good enough to satisfy the holiness of God. You can't do it. And the gospel of Jesus plus your earning will fail. And it's dangerous because you hope in the wrong thing and you'll miss the boat. So the Jewish Christians, they brought a false gospel of Jesus plus my earning to the Galatians. But why did they bring it to them? Why did they do it? Why did they think that was a necessary message? What was really going on there? It was this, wasn't it? They rejected Paul ultimately because they trusted themselves and their authority over his as an apostle of God. They rejected God's authority through Paul from Jesus in place of their own. And this is our third, sorry, this is our second false gospel we're going to look at this morning. The way that that Jesus plus my authority is a false gospel. And this is the oldest lie in the book. Very literally the oldest lie in the book. Because in the Garden of Eden, in the first chapters of the Bible, we are told about the way that sin entered the world and suffering entered the world. But you know what? It wasn't the way that we might think. It wasn't through this large-scale war and rebellion It came about through doubt and disbelief. As Satan asked Eve in Genesis 3 verse 1, did God really say? He invited her to question and to doubt and to begin to view herself and each of us after her as the referee that determines whether what God says in his word is really true. Rejecting the authority of the Bible rejecting God's authority and preferring our own. This is the air that we breathe here in Vancouver, isn't it? It really is. And, and it might feel abrasive to us because it's the air that we breathe to talk about submitting to God's authority in his word. That is not a normal conversation that we have on the streets of Vancouver. Right? We reject that out of hand. But even if you are on the fence about this, even if you don't really think that you need to submit to God's authority, bear with me for a second. Just consider this. Isn't it at least plausible that if God is the creator that he claims that he is, don't you think that he would have an angle on what is true in a way that you don't? Don't you think his perspective would be better than yours, even if it feels like the most alien thing in the world to submit to him? Because you live in a world full of people who don't submit to him. You know, if I kept putting tinfoil in my microwave, right, thinking that I have discovered the the use of a microwave, it's a fire starter, right? Wouldn't the architect of a microwave have the right to come and talk to me and say, you know, Brent, I'm just going to stop you right there so you don't burn your house down, right? And, and put me back on the right path. He would, and I hope that he would do it. In the same way, the Bible claims that God is the creator of all things. He is the source of truth. And our problem is that we believe the doubt. We trust the lie. We ask, did God really say? And we think, you know, I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure that it's a fire starter. So instead, we rely on our own independent authority and thinking outside of God. But it won't get us far, will it? Because the Bible says this about our thinking and our ability to reason ourselves to truth outside of God. This is not, this is not a text that we put on t-shirts and wear around very often. This is what the Bible says about our ability to reason outside of God. 
In Ephesians 4, verse 18, Paul writes about those outside of Christ. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Adding our own authority to God's and standing in judgment over him won't work for us because we don't see clearly. We're wearing these glasses that are like the welder's glasses. The tint is so strong. We can't see through it. And they're distorted even if we could see through it. And all the while, we're trying to determine what's reality. And we say, no, God, I'm pretty sure we see things clearly and you're the one who's wrong. So what does this look like? If this is true, what does it look like in Vancouver? How does this bear out Jesus plus my authority in the day-to-day life in Vancouver? Well, I'll just give you a few themes here. It looks like believing in Jesus, but then adding your own authority to him and saying, you know, Jesus says some hard things. I'm just going to tweak that message a little bit. It looks at a passage like John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And you think, that's not going to fly here in Vancouver in 2018. What kind of an archaic message is that? You know, I know better. The people around me in Vancouver know better too, God, by the way. And we're not going to do that. It looks like believing in Jesus, but then adding a banquet of your own spiritual practices to him. You know, Jesus is pretty good, but I'm just going to add a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Vishnu, a little bit of something else, because those things make me feel good. You know, and, and why can't I have a more, uh, more religious, uh, more things added to my faith? Why won't that benefit me? How come I can't do that? Or it looks like you believing in a custom-tailored, uh, bespoke Jesus of your imaginations. Do we do that? Right, where we build a little God for me personally, a little God for Doug, a little God for Joe, and we do the Thomas Jefferson thing who famously cut out the parts of the Bible that he didn't like. Like, well, that Old Testament God, we're going to have to get rid of that whole part of the Bible. Right, and we build a God according to our imagination. Versus submitting to the God who's revealed himself in his word for us. Maybe all of this feels pretty easy for you to nod your head along to you. Like, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in the authority of God's word. I trust his authority. I believe in Jesus and I trust him. Maybe you do that. Let me ask you a question that should make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. This should convict us if nothing else have. You might say God's word is your authority. Is it your functional authority? If we took a video camera and we looked at your life this last week, what would it say about who is really in control? Who is really the authority of your life? Is it the Bible and God's word? Or is it the zeitgeist of Vancouver? You know, Satan whispers into our ears today, just like he did into Eve's ear. And he says, did God really say? And he challenges you to add your own authority to the gospel message so that you feel comfortable asserting that it's not true. And that's not true. I know. I know. It's not theoretical, is it? This is a very real thing for us. It's very real for me. You guys are all pretty quiet right now. This is a real thing. I think we struggle with this. I do. And one of the hardest things and the best things for me about preaching is that I'm forced to preach the word of God pretty regularly. 
So I get confronted with these texts that challenge me. And I look at it, I'm like, oh, man. It's not going to be an easy one to communicate on Sunday. And my sinful heart that wants to be the authority is challenged and brought into submission under the word of God. We need this. And if we don't have it, if we don't submit ourselves to God's word, we end up preaching that false gospel that H. Richard Niebuhr said. He warned us about teaching a gospel of a God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment, through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's not the gospel. That's not going to save anybody. Besides, it's dangerous to claim authority for yourself that you don't have because you're not God, you're finite. That means that you don't see things as clearly as you think you do. That means that you can't test and verify as many things as you think you can. That means that you're a more dependent creature than you ever dared to realize. If you trust you, as the authority over all, you are relegated to live life in the fog of your extremely limited thinking and your extremely limited life experience. You really don't know if the path you are choosing the moment, if that's a path that's going to lead you to joy and to salvation like you think it will, or off a cliff. The gospel of Jesus plus my authority is dangerous, and it's not going to help you. Hear that this morning. It's not going to help you. But if we embraced it, if we embrace the gospel of Jesus plus my authority, if we let ourselves rise to the place of our own authority over God, we often end up falling into the trap of the third false gospel we'll look at this morning. The gospel of Jesus plus my own identity. And in this false gospel, we reject God's authority, and we think that to really find pleasure and satisfaction, we must decide who we are for ourselves instead of embracing who God made us to be. Do you get that? And let's look at that gospel of Jesus plus my identity for a second. We'll go back again to the garden. Because in the Garden of Eden, in those first chapters of the Bible, we learn that God created us with a certain identity. He said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, he said this. He said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This passage says that we're created to reflect God. We're created to be like him, to live in relationship with him, to know him and to love him and to reflect his goodness in this world. That's our God-given identity. But Adam and Eve rejected the identity that God gave them. Instead, they chose for themselves a new identity as independent beings in order to pursue the pleasure that they wanted outside of God's good purposes given in creation for them. I'm going to reject what you say about me, God, and I'm going to try and find my satisfaction in my life my way apart from you. But you and I do the same. We reject what God says about us in favor of what we want to say about ourselves. We pick identities that will suit us in our own pleasure and live for them instead. Isn't that true? Don't we want freedom? Don't we want complete and perfect freedom in this late liberal age we live in? Don't we want perfect freedom, uninhibited, unencumbered freedom to pursue whatever I want? I don't want anybody telling me who I am or what to do or how to live or where to go. I know who I am and I know who I will be. Don't stand in my way. And we praise that kind of thinking. And what happens then is that 
our self-chosen identity determines the path for us that we think will lead to fulfillment and lasting joy and satisfaction in our lives. So what about you? Do you do this? I do it. One of the ways that I do it is I, I tend to struggle in rejecting God's identity given to me and redeemed for me through Jesus on the cross in favor of a lesser identity that I elevate of being a preacher or being a pastor. I can try to live for that and find satisfaction in those things versus finding my satisfaction who Christ has made me to be. That's not the only way to do it, though. It's true there's some of us in this room that, that have made and elevated their identity as a successful person. And the hope and the dream is that if I can live out my identity as a sex, successful person, then I'll find satisfaction and joy. Just let me succeed. Let my life be in order. Or maybe there's somebody in the room and, and you're thinking, no, no, my identity is that I am a lifestyle person. I'm an explorer with a free heart and I'm going to pursue an unhindered exploration of adventure and life experiences and don't stop me because if I can't do those things, I'm not going to be happy or I'm not going to be satisfied. Or what about those of us, even in this room, who say, no, who I am, what I elevate over what Jesus says about me is that I am a sexual being. And unless I can explore my sexuality with whomever I want, whenever I want, in whatever ways or capacities I want, then I won't be living to my full identity and purpose. I won't be satisfied. Or what about, I'm a mother. And unless I have children, I won't be satisfied. Or what about, I'm a husband, and unless I have a wife of my dreams, I'm going to be really angry. Or what about, I'm a powerful person, unless I have control and influence, I won't be happy. Or what about, I'm a wise person, unless all of you guys come to me for advice. I struggle with this one. Unless all of you come to me for advice, then I won't be satisfied, because my identity is that I'm wise. Or what about, I'm a vocational person, and unless I can pursue whatever vocation of my choosing to its fullest extent, Man, that's, that's what I was made for. If I don't get that, I'm not happy. Or what about, I'm beautiful and I'm desirable. Not me, somebody else in the room. <laughs> and you think, for that person, if, that's, if their identity is there, that unless you can be desired and admired and longed for, then you aren't fulfilling your purpose and your identity. You know, we all do this. We all create ultimate identities for ourselves all the time. But how does it work out for us? Not very well. Because when we have this strongly formed identity outside of our identity given to us in the Bible and redeemed for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have set ourselves up for failure and hardship. And failure and hardship come because we weren't made to be satisfied in any of those lesser identities. We are made to be satisfied in God alone. So try as we may, they don't do it for us. We fight and we claw and we grasp to live out that identity for ourselves. But then when we don't get it and when obstacles come and our health gets in the way, we get angry and bitter and upset, angry at the world and angry at God. And all the while, the false gospel around us, 24 hours a day, is that if you could just break free and be completely independent of everything around you and pursue whatever identity you wanted, if you just add more you to the equation, you'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. But it won't work. Jesus plus your identity won't satisfy, and it won't save. 
Do you see the thread through each of these false gospels? Jesus plus my earning, Jesus plus my authority, and Jesus plus my identity. The thread is you. You at the center where only Jesus deserves to be. That's the heart of every false gospel that exists. Maybe you feel good about that today. Maybe you think, of course I want that. This crazy stuff as Christian, this is insane. I just want to challenge you a little bit and say, man, look at the world around you. Look at the 7 billion other people that think the way that you do. And look at the chaos that's resulted. Do you think maybe that we need something outside of ourselves? Where is our hope? How does the one true exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ speak into these categories? Well, Jesus speaks into these false gospels by dethroning us at the center. Praise him. And exalting Jesus, who is worthy to sit on the throne in the arenas of everything we've been talking about, in the arena of earning, in the arena of authority, and in the arena of what it really means to be human. As both fully God and fully human himself. For the false gospel of Jesus plus my earning, the true gospel recognizes Jesus' rightful place at the center because only Jesus can earn what we can't. Jesus deserves for us so that even when we fail, we get to live on the basis of what he has earned for us. We get to receive the blessings that he's deserved and that we didn't out of faith and trust in him who earns for us. Paul wrote these words in Romans 10 verse 12. He says, Jesus is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Jesus earned riches unimaginable. The grace of God, the love of God, adoption from God, the hope of a new heaven and a new earth created without sin. And he's willing to bestow his blessings on you, not by your work, but by his work. Not by by your earning, but by his earning in your place. Isn't it exhausting hoping in what you can accomplish when you can't accomplish what you need? Isn't that hard? Isn't that tiring? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the hope of the true gospel. For the false gospel of Jesus plus my authority, the Bible says you can't trust your mind because you have a sin problem that even affects your thinking. And instead, it challenges us to find our bearing in this world, to navigate through the fog of uncertainty by trusting a creator God who has revealed himself as the truth in Jesus Christ and come to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came to earth and he's revealed in scripture so that you can know the truth. Come to him. Come submit your finite, creaturely mind to him and his glorious truth. Come to Jesus about whom Colossians 2 verse 3 says this. Come to Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and find your bearings. Come to Jesus trusting that only by knowing him who is true, who's revealed in the Bible, that you'll be free indeed, as Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32. When he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And for the gospel of Jesus plus my identity, the Bible says that 
more of you and more of your independence, that's the problem. That is not the solution. More self-love and more self-esteem is not going to help you. But the good news is that Jesus told us how to find our true identity. He, t- he showed us how when he said these words in Matthew ten thirty-nine: Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 39 teaches us paradoxically that finding your identity, finding your life is in losing it in service for Jesus. It's in no longer living for you, but living for Jesus and his glory instead. So what does that look like? What does it look like to do that, to find my identity by living for Jesus? Well, maybe for those of you who find your identity in being a mother, it looks like your mothering identity is submitted to Jesus and his glory and his greater goals and purposes for you than mothering. Maybe it means that a good meal and a perfectly clean house and a perfect schedule lose out in the service of Jesus and Christians who need to be served and lost who need to be saved and people who need to be cared for. For people that maybe find their identity in their career, maybe it looks like you don't take that promotion when it's going to get in the way of you serving Jesus with your life. Maybe it looks like you don't participate in anything that would cause you to compromise your values and the character of Christ being formed in you because you were a Christian. It would look like you doing all that you do for the glory of God and his good purposes as you serve him in whatever vocation you have. Or for you lifestyle people, Maybe it, means, maybe it means that you no longer find your identity so much in all your pursuits and conquests. And that sometimes you use your vacation time to serve God. You sacrifice your pleasure and your pursuit of you for the glory of Jesus. For having the neighbors over. For participating in a kid's ministry. For participating in a kid's camp. Or maybe it just means that in whatever you do, vocationally, professionally, with every resource that you have, in everything you do it, you live your life for the glory of God as you serve him and love him and seek him above yourself. Every false gospel begins with the self. Jesus plus my earning. Jesus plus my authority. Jesus plus my identity. You know, salvation and wholeness as the person you were created to be They begin and end with the opposite. They begin and end with you losing your life for the greater glory and goodness of Jesus. You know, Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's that's every false gospel. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the way that it convicts us. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to submit to you. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to humble ourselves and to give up our human autonomy to find life in submission and living for Jesus. Oh Lord, help us to hold to your truths. Help us to teach your word with honesty and integrity. Help us to see your glory in Vancouver as your gospel goes forth and people who need life find it in Jesus. We ask that you would do this for your glory and our eternal good. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.